Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I f***ing love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that boost next. Big jab there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullfighters. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Interrupting the weekend for the entire Anik and Florian podcast staff. That's what we do. All the fathers on this show when I proposed doing something on Sunday. Couldn't wait to bank something. Kenny Florian, are you getting out of childcare at this moment on, on Sunday, July 16th? I, I am indeed. I am indeed. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, it's good. I get to, I get to leave. I actually, so we're, we're spending time down at the beach. So I, I, I'm away from the kids for a couple of days. I got to, I got to run some errands. You know, I got to run yeah, some right. errands. Yeah. A lot of errands. So, right. Yeah. But, a lot uh, of errands. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. You and Peach are like, yeah, Sunday's great. Sunday's great. <laughs> Honey, can you take you the do? kids for two hours? And yeah. Petrie's in the waiting room ready to go in about 20 minutes. We'll have uh, seven picks for uh, for UFC Fight Night, Aspinall versus Tabora. It's a lot of work, right? And we're asking you to do this right after you've ingested the, the previous UFC Fight Night. Holly Holm, Maida, Maida Bueno Silva, however you want to pronounce it. We'll get into all of that noise in a second. But when you get the rundown from me and it's seven predictions for this fight night as opposed to three or four, you're probably like, really, man? Like we got... 
We got ESPN Plus prelims. You asked me to pick these six days out. They're barely betting lines on DraftKings Sportsbook. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. But you helped us out with some nice information. And, uh, you know, I did a little bit of homework last night and uh, got it done. I Hopefully I can improve upon what I've been doing the last couple of weeks. We'll see. All right. More on that in a little bit. But great to have you with us, of course. It is Sunday, July 16th. The year is 2023. It's episode 422 of the Anakin Florian podcast presented by DraftKings on the DraftKings network on the DraftKings YouTube channel. Clips still yours on the Anakin Florian podcast channel. Our, our show open references your Boston accent or our Boston accents. I've never had one except when I drink. You, if anybody goes to UFC Fight Pass and watches some of your post-fight interviews after your wins in your career, your Boston accent is very thick at that stage of life. It comes out. It comes out. I think I was spending so much time there where you'll hear it. You'll definitely hear it. A lot of time in Somerville when you uh, when you were cracking that microphone and telling everybody that you finished fights. So we have a lot to get to, but I feel like I'd be burying the lead if I didn't at least talk about Francis Ngannou and talk about Jamal Hill before we get into uh, Maida Bueno Silva. My twin brother calls me. He's like, hey, man. You know, you may not want to hear this, but as your publicist, uh, I think you got it wrong on the pronunciation of uh, of Myra Bueno Silva. They said Myra on the on the broadcast, and uh, yeah. you know, so he's got me going into the Dropbox like the day after the fight to look at the uh, listen to the pronunciation, and uh, you know, she says Maida every day of the week. I was like, did you not listen to the Anakin Florian podcast last week? Uh, but before <laughs> we get into that, Kenny. Uh, the UFC light heavyweight champion, Jamal Hill, is now the former UFC light heavyweight champion. I believe it's a ruptured Achilles, and anybody who watched the video that he put out there on his YouTube channel had to feel for him, put it out there, pushes the microphone aside, and then sort of you know collapses in his own tears. And uh, brutal, brutal injury, and there are a lot of layers to it. But this light heavyweight division just seems snake-bitten a little bit, and Jamal Hill is the, uh, the latest champion to fall. Yeah, no question about it, man. It's it, very unfortunate, you know, especially that division uh, has a, has had a bit of an issue. You know, the 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 championship belt has been playing musical chairs a little bit in that 205-pound division. And, um, you know, hearing about those injuries, it's never good. Um, you know, hearing about an Achilles rupture, uh, I, I don't know how bad it is, of course. I haven't talked to Jamal or anything like that, but uh, those can be extremely challenging to get back to 100% after it. Um, you know, so many times it leads to a lot of other injuries down the line. Um, a lot of people come back too early. Uh, a lot of people would prefer a broken bone as opposed to torn Achilles. It is a, a really a beast of an injury to come back from, uh, especially given the fact that you're talking about a striker who utilizes a lot of footwork and things like that. So I hope that he's going to be back, that he's going to be back to 100% when he is back. And um, I guess it's good news for everybody else, but um, that's got to be tough for Jamal Hill, who just got the belt and um, didn't get a, didn't even get a chance to defend it yet. So, yeah. you know, he's been out and about and increasing his following. And anybody who I think has crossed this man's wake, you know, has a measure of love for him. He's a really good dude. And, uh, you know, it seems like reportedly the injury happened during this basketball game that uh, that my twin brother was a part of that. Of course, our executive producer, Cody Merrow, uh, was a part of Cody hit a couple of threes, by the way. But I referenced this on the UFC broadcast when we showed him it was like a celeb shot. There's UFC light heavyweight champ Jamal Hill. I was like, careful on the basketball court. And I think DC was like, seriously, DC's team won the game, by the way. There are reports also that DC paid the officials. Like, Cody and my brother took money 
as the winning team, like 300 bucks a head. So I hope DC didn't pay the officials. Uh, <laughs> uh, that Jamal Hill didn't sustain the injury during the basketball game. I certainly didn't know the severity when I referenced it on broadcast, but maybe that's where it happened. And uh, I will say, I've come across so many basketball players who injure their Achilles. And so I would say to Bilal, remember the name Muhammad and everybody else out there on the UFC roster that likes to play basketball recreationally. Khabib Nurmagomedov used to play it uh, while cutting weight. It, don't go full speed, five on five, ever until your UFC career is over, right, Kenny? Is that not sage advice? Yeah, no question about it, man. Um, you know, when you, especially, you know, you're off season, uh, you're going to be a little bit overweight potentially. You know, uh, your ankles, your body isn't used to that kind of activity. It's used to, you know, ironically taking shots, getting hit, you know, moving around, things like that. But um, you could put a lot of stress on your body when you're doing something else that you're not used to, especially given the fact that you're an athletic guy. You're like, I got this. I can move the way I used to. Right. Uh, and it just doesn't work out that way. That's when you can get so many injuries. My oldest brother uh, did a similar thing while he was at uh, at Boston College uh, playing basketball in the offseason and uh, ruptured his Achilles. So I know how horrible that was on him. Uh, really tough thing to come back from. But, you know, I, I hope that for, for Jamal Hill that he's going to be okay and um, just really unfortunate stuff. Is there any truth to the rumor that it was due to a crossover by Cody Merrow? Is that, huh. did he, did he break ankles that way? Is that Cody? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it, almost like it's too soon, right? To be, yeah. Cody says, potentially. Hey, Cody <laughs> said, uh, officials didn't play a role in the outcome of the game. And I will take, uh, Cody's word on that. Was it Edgar Ken. Florian or Michael Ken? For oh, the Edgar, exactly. Exactly. Edgar. Shout out to Edgar Florian, by the way. <laughs> so does Dr. Gus Florian still listen regularly? Because if he, he listened last yeah. week, still ever likes stuff every now and again on Twitter. I wonder if uh, Dr. Florian is paying for that blue check mark on Twitter. I would suggest no. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Well, we wish Jamal Hill a speedy recovery. The question beckons. What do you do with this now vacant UFC light heavyweight championship belt? I got to think BC is like sitting around thinking, man. I may want to come back and try to choke somebody out, right? Just get the fight to the ground and put on a rear naked choke. He's just got to lose, like course. what, like 80, 90 pounds? And then he's good. Uh, he makes you fewer, fewer than that. <laughs> yeah, just get him a towel. You push kidding, down. DC. Get him a towel and push down on. <laughs> so what do you do? I mean, is it as simple as elevating this fight, three rounds between Alex Pereira and Jan Bohovic, that is going to take place 13 days from today? Dateline, Salt Lake City. Don't call it Salt Lake. They get very upset. Are you elevating that to a five-round championship fight and putting it underneath the BMF belt? I don't think that's an issue necessarily, but uh, right. what do you do and with whatever immediacy in terms of uh, the 205-pound division? Listen, I think it's worthy of it. You know, wh why not? The, the, the big hiccup for, for me is going to be the fighters themselves participating in the fight. I mean, now you're elevating this to a championship fight. They've been preparing though for 15 minutes, right? So gosh, what do you do there? Um, it would be kind of last minute for them, but again, an awesome opportunity for them to be a champion in that weight class. You have Pereira, who is the former champion at 185 pounds in his first fight at 205, obviously has phenomenal striking credentials there to validate that and, and everything he's done in mixed martial arts prior to that. And of course, you know, Bohovic, who's been around the game, former champion at, at 205 pounds already. So 
I think it's worthy. It's just going to be a matter. I think for anything else, the fighters have to agree to it. And um, I don't know, perhaps they will. So Yuri Prohaska's timeline is the factor in all of this that I'm not sure anybody really knows. But I think that's a part of this equation, right? Is that if Yuri's going to be back in any sort of, you know, three months, even inside of five or six months, then the winner of this fight could conceivably challenge him for the 205 pound title. We don't know what our headliner is at UFC 293. I mean, we said on broadcast, I guess we can say UFC 293 out of Sony versus Duplessis, but we don't know that right now. So uh, a lot to be decided. Best of luck to Jamal Hill, friend of the program, as he tries to recover, and uh, we'll see what they do. I'm not sure they're going to elevate uh, Jan Bohovic and Alexpedate to the championship, but you just never know. And wouldn't that be exciting, my goodness, inside of two weeks or three weeks? Could they uh, potentially move it, John? Could they move – would they move that one back a little bit and then make it five rounds? That, Yeah, that's not a bad thought. UFC 291 uh, is particularly loaded, but I think the yeah. opportunity – that carrot dangle would be so huge that uh, I think they would both uh, probably accept it uh, on the short notice. But who knows? You know, there are promotional considerations, as, as Cody alluded to. And it's a big fight, right? Like UFC light heavyweight championship. It's not ideal that they've had these type of vacant situations. You had Magomed Ankalaev and Jan Bohovic. I mean, Ankalaev obviously factors in this equation. Don't want to yeah. uh, leave him and his fan base out. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what they uh, choose to do. All right, Tyson Fury, minus 800. The comeback on Francis Ngannou is plus 630. Uh, I'm excited that Francis Ngannou gets his life-changing money. I'm excited they have a date in late October. Uh, I guess there won't be a belt on the line, but that doesn't seem to matter. Uh, what are your thoughts on how competitive Francis Ngannou might be in a boxing setting with Tyson Fury? And uh, perhaps the the broader question is uh, your thoughts on him getting the, uh, the chunk of change, as it were. Right. I, I have those same sentiments, right? That, um, you know, you're happy that he's getting everything he wanted. He has the big deal with the PFL. He's got that huge boxing fight. It seems like that Tyson Fury fight was going to go away. Uh, and then Francis Ngannou kind of, uh, you know, brings brings this to our attention. And man, it's huge. It's huge for him. Um, however, you know, he is facing one of the toughest uh, heavyweight boxers of all time, in my opinion, you know, you talk about his size, his ability to move with that kind of size is just, it's different. Um, there's not a whole lot of professional boxers that are high level that can deal with someone like Tyson Fury. And it is quite the mountain to climb for Francis Ngannou. Now, Francis Ngannou, if he hits, if he hits anybody clean to the right spot, he could put him down. But Tyson Fury, not only does he have the ability to be very evasive, He's a huge man who, if you do knock him down, he always finds a way to get get back to his feet. So just a, a fascinating fight, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, I don't really love seeing guys fight outside of their realm of expertise, which Francis Zagato, of course, is doing. Um, but I think it, it is intriguing. I think a lot of people will want to see it just based on Francis Zagato and his power that he brings to mixed martial arts. But make no mistake, this is Tyson Fury's world. All right, well, you and Brian Petrie will be making a selection on that in the lead-up to that fight, so we'll see if you're willing to lay minus 800 with uh, with Tyson Fury or so in that range. No line as yet, I don't believe, on uh, DraftKings Sportsbook. All right, let us recap this UFC fight night briefly, and uh, we'll get to Big Gun here in about 10 minutes. Maida Bueno Silva over Holly Holm by submission. 
Wikipedia's calling it a ninja choke. We have Kenny Florian and his four stripes on that Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. So uh, congratulations to Bueno Silva. She is absolutely a contender now in this division. There's a storyline on Holly Holm that we'll get to in a little bit, but a big congratulations to the Brazilian-American top team, Pahupa. Huge two weeks for them. Uh, what's a ninja choke? Talk to me through. Talk me through this choke. It's exactly what it is. It is the ninja choke. Um, so basically, it is a rear naked choke grip uh, from the front. So um, it is a front choke utilizing that rear naked choke grip. It secures it extremely well. Um, it could be very tight. You see a lot of people work for it and get it, um, but then for some reason, you know, a lot of fighters will kind of disengage and be able to turn out of it and, and kind of torque the shoulder a little bit. But in this case, um, Holly Holm was just in it for way too long before she realized she was in something that was very deep and very difficult to get out of. And uh, Maida did a great job of locking it up, securing it, getting the proper angle, getting that squeeze and getting the finish. Um, and yeah, I was really surprised by that because I don't think Holly had that same sense of urgency while she was in it. You have to respond very, very quickly. She was in it for way too long. And when you have that rear naked choke grip, it is very, very powerful. It really locks those arms together. And that's why Holly Holm uh, had a very difficult time getting out of it and was forced to tap. But uh, man, this girl is a finisher through and through. Um, very, very impressed with the adjustments that she made through that fight, how hard she was hitting. Um, yeah. And oh, yeah. uh, Holly uh, just didn't have an answer to that. I love hearing you break that down because I was sort of going to ask if it's more credit to the offense or would you think, you know, Holly Holm 15 fights into her UFC run should not fall victim to a ninja choke that early in the fight, especially knowing that she was going to probably pursue some of those clinch situations as Holly has done as her career has gone on and she's realized success in those situations. So, uh, but it sounds like you're talking a lot about the offensive fighter, which is uh, nice for me to hear. Yeah, she did a really great job. But again, I think there was things that Holly could have done early on when she was in it, um, didn't respond properly. But uh, Maida, it's like everything she throws, she's trying to hurt you. She's trying to take you out. Uh, when she goes for submissions, she's really trying to to break something or, or and finish it. And she did just that against Holly, did it very early in the fight as well. And um, just kind of just took took the air out of the balloon as I was watching. I was like, whoa, what? This yeah. this is it. This is over. Yeah. It's going to be over. And sure enough, she pulled it off. And um, yeah, very, very impressed. All right. More on where Bueno Silva goes from here. She came in number 10 in the world. Holly Holm was three. So she all of a sudden is uh, right in the middle of this mix of contenders. But Holly Holm falls to eight and seven in the UFC. So when she beat Ronda Rousey, and she can still lay claim to singularly having perhaps the biggest win in mixed martial arts history, but she was 10 and 0 November 2015 at UFC 193 after she beat Ronda Rousey. Since she's five and seven in the UFC, which brings her overall UFC mark to eight and seven, and she has just one finish since that Ronda Rousey head kick, and that was her finish of finish of uh, of Betch Cohea. So she's four and one years of age. She's had eight UFC main events, and you know she's a, a future UFC Hall of Famer. She's already in the Boxing Hall of Fame, but at times, you know, you referenced her tightness on the Anakin Florian podcast last week. You know, it looks like me before my high school basketball game sometimes when they're showing that arrival shot, you know, yeah. and I would never as a non-fighter, you know, 
I'm about to do it. But to suggest that maybe a fighter doesn't want to be there, but I don't know that she's in her most primal state right now at 41 years of age. And uh, I don't know if you have anything for us on those visuals or Holly Holm big picture as a whole. Well, I think that's the, the most surprising thing about Holly when she competes before she competes is that nervous energy that she has. And, you know, you reference it. She's been boxing a very long time, multiple time world champion in boxing, um, you know, has so much experience in the UFC at this point. But it always seems like she's making her UFC debut, that that's what is kind of a head scratcher for me because she is so talented. And I also get the sense that she's way better than what she's showing, even in her wins she's just a little bit too tight you could see it even you know before she fights in between rounds she is non-stop making those nervous pacing you know i feel like she should have a cigarette in her mouth as she's pacing in between yeah, rounds yeah. she's so nervous but um i don't know it, it must be difficult to kind of calm her down I, I guess she utilizes that energy pretty well as well but i think that in the end it is hurting her it's not allowing her to go out there and do what she, I, I think she can do what she is capable. Now, I haven't been around her, you know, watching her practice and things like that, but I've heard the stories. I, I know what she is capable from uh, a speed and movement perspective. And for me, when I see her fight, it just seems like she's just way too tight. And if you're tight, you're going to be slower. Mm. You're going to be less efficient as you fight. So uh, unfortunate there for Holly, she is. Of course, you know, 41 years old, but at the same time, she looks physically like she's. Oh, yeah, she's in great. I just don't think she's managing that energy like she could or managing the nervous energy like she could. I should say I thought she was going to give you a big effort here. And I think that may sound like I'm discrediting Bueno Silva, but I expected a uh, a big effort out of Holly Holm. And uh, for whatever reason, we didn't get it. By the way, there were cigarettes in her, her dressing room. Keith Peterson was the referee. So there were cigarettes to be had. I think you're onto something there. You know, you have a dirt stick before the fight, have one of them coffin nails, you know, yeah, before yeah. the fight. <laughs> Keith Peterson was in the dressing room. You know, maybe that's the answer. But uh, I do think Holly Holm will not go out on this note, uh, but I'm not sure that the end is all that far away, yeah. given this takes her out of contention again. Asterisk is that I never am in the business of retiring for fighters, but I do think if certain fighters are not in contention, they aren't necessarily going to stick around. And this is an appreciable setback, which segues into our conversation about Maida Bueno Silva. There are a lot of people now at 135 pounds. Amanda Nunes is gone, and nothing is guaranteed in the UFC, except I guess maybe if you're Bilal Muhammad, right, and you beat Gilbert Burns, right? Maybe that's guaranteed. <laughs> But Kenny, right, Raquel Pennington and Juliana Pena right now are the number one and number two ranked contenders in this division. Unless my head's in the sand, I don't believe they've been offered a championship fight, even though that fight makes a lot of sense. Raquel's won five in a row, just weighed in as a backup. Pena got injured training for Nunes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but you know, I mean, you're the I finish fights guy, right? Maeda Bueno Silva just went and finished a fight and finished Holly Holm with a fucking ninja choke in round two. So, uh, you know, put on your promoter's hat if you would. I know you work for the fucking competition, the fucking PFL. But what uh, what would you do right now, right? Because promotionally now they are well within their right to elevate this fighter that just choked out uh, Holly Holm with, with that ninja choke. Yeah, listen, I think that um, – I think you got to put Maida in there now. You know, I think that based on her performance, based on who she defeated, you have to have her in there. Juliana Pena, I think, is probably the biggest name. 
Uh, I think it's the face that most people are most familiar with. I think she's also the person who can take this fight to another level promotionally. Uh, so if I'm Sean Shelby, that's the fight. Uh, or Mick Maynard, for that matter. I don't know who manages those, those that division. Mick. So I would I would make that fight. I think that's the one to make. I think both of those guys, both of those women are finishers. They have a lot of offense. They're they're going to get in each other's faces. They're going to move forward. I, I think that's the fight to make, man. Not only because it's going to be action-packed, but I think those are the two women that you'd want. You want to have one of those, uh, have the division built around one of them, um, you know, just from the fact that, of how aggressive they are and you know just the kind of momentum that they have yeah going to be very interesting to see uh how it all shakes out but congrats to uh to Maida Bueno Silva and uh Gloria and everybody else the entire team big win uh over Holly Holm there in the uh main event all right Petrie coming up in about two minutes and uh I do just want to touch on this uh split decision win for Jack Della Maddalena over Basil Hafez what a fight. And I did think maybe the Evan Elder, Hanato Valdez fight. By the way, the lightweight division, folks, breaking news is the best division in the UFC. 155 pounds. And you don't need to at me, J-O-N underscore A-N-I-K. You can add Anik Florian Pod, right? Lightweight's the best division, right? I'm seeing Evan Elder, you know, to me, you know, take a couple pokes from a joint. Looks like the best fucking fighter in the world, Evan Elder, 155 pounds. <laughs> So Jack Della Maddalena by split decision over Basil Hafez. And you can go any number of different ways with the fight. I guess I wouldn't lean into the scoring too much. I thought based upon the body work for Jack Della Maddalena, that was enough to give him round two. And if somehow I had Hafez up 2-0 after two, I certainly would have gone 10-8 Jack Della Maddalena in round three, which I think was arguable. But uh, Jack Della Maddalena escapes a very significant challenge here. Ken Flo puts uh, his 14-fight winning streak and his ranking and everything else on the line and, uh, you know, wheels up, but uh, not without a sweat. No question about it. And for me, it, it, it pains me. It hurts me to say this. But I, I think we found out some information that's a little bit unfortunate in regards to JDM and his potential because he was making some very poor decisions when it came to the grappling there. It's like, hey, man, you go for that guillotine once. I get it. No problem. You go for it twice. Hey, I get it. You know, I understand. Three, four, five times he yeah, keeps getting yeah. side control or half guard. Just stop or at least block it in some way, shape, or form. And he wasn't adjusting the way I, I, I would have liked to uh, have seen. So while Hefez did some great work, no question about it, I would say this was, I guess, a demonstration of some ineffective grappling more than effective grappling on the part of Hefez. So ineffective grappling on the part of Jack De La Maddalena and you know, less so effective grappling on Hafez. So, I, again, for some people out there, I was going up on you know Twitter and seeing some people say that Hafez should have got the knot. I did not see that at all. I think yeah. that sometimes when you're watching a fight and you see this guy Hafez come in uh, against JDM, who's very highly touted, you expect Jack Della Maddalena to go out there and just take him out with the quickness. That didn't happen. We were constantly getting surprised, so I think we were swinging the pendulum so far over to Hafez's right. way, perhaps, and saying, man, this guy's winning the fight. Was he getting certain positions on him? Yes. Was he causing any damage on the ground, though? No. He wasn't utilizing much ground and pound. He wasn't getting crazy positions. He wasn't necessarily taking the back. He wasn't mounting. He wasn't right. utilizing those positions to, to land even significant shots, in my opinion, on the ground, and that's what hurt him. If he did that, hey, 
then maybe you have an argument. But as far as who won that fight, it was clearly JDM. But at the very least, he's going to learn a lot from this, make those uh, hopefully make those corrections based on what he did out there and and come back better. But I love Jack De La Maddalena, man, but he dropped a few notches in my head just based on that performance. Uh, but again, kudos uh, to Basil Hafez for, for getting it done there. Ba- is it Basil? Basil Hafez. Yeah, oh, I actually went and looked up the file this morning, but uh, I still can't get it right consistently. But yeah, I mean, I agree, right? There's intel to be had on both sides. Jack Della Maddalena accrues the 15 minutes of experience. So do people like you and future opponents, right, who analyze what he does. I also think... It's asking a lot of yourself to come to the United States from where he lives, which is very far away. And to cut weight twice in a span of eight days, it's just asking a lot. So uh, he gets away with it. And uh, it's going to be very interesting to see if uh, he is granted his wish to turn around in Sydney. I don't know if it'll be Sean Brady or someone else, but uh, nice win for Jack Della Maddalena. And it's always nice to see as we talk often about the short notice newcomers come in in these high high profile slots and it really changes their whole career trajectory because there's no contender series it's like oh that's the dude who fought jack dell in his ufc debut and almost fucking beat him and actually did on one scorecard you know yeah so. and, and i tell you what again yet you never know what's you know playing into certain fights as you mentioned that you know two weight cuts that's never easy right it, coming from australia that's not easy uh however Sean Brady in those spots of where Basil Hafez was uh, spells doom for someone yeah. like Jack yeah. De La Maddalena. I think yeah. Sean Brady, if he was in certain those uh, some of those uh, spots, probably would have taken advantage, whether it was an arm triangle or mounting or things like that. So um, interesting, interesting stuff. And the last thing I'll say is – in terms of the fatigue, right? Jack Della goes for this guillotine, and everyone's like, "Oh man, you know, Basil's tired." It's like. So is three name Jack. Yeah. Right. Get a little fucking breather, you know? All right. A lot more coming up in our UFC fight night recap. uh, But let us go three wide and bring in uh, the best in the business. Let's get to the main event challenge. Tired of snooty wines and their old wine culture? Confused by words like malolactic fermentation? Yeah, we are too. So with 19 crimes, you can do the fancy schmancy tilt sip smell routine or don't. 19 Crimes is the rebel of wine and culture, telling the stories of rogues and rule breakers who overcame adversities. From convicts banished to Australia to the legendary icon Snoop Dogg himself, 19 Crimes wine is defiant by nature, bold in character, and always uncompromising. 19 Crimes, the official wine of UFC. Pick up in stores nationwide or online at 19crimes.com. Enjoy responsibly. 2024, Sonoma, California. The main event challenge. Anik. The time is most definitely Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, great to have Big Gun Brian Petrie with us. So if I'm a judge, Bri, and happy yeah. weekend to you. By the way, yeah. so all you fathers, like, can't wait to do the podcast on Sunday yeah. when I reach out. Yeah, well, usually Sunday is a really good day. My wife surprised me how to work. I got my stepfather in the uh, in the kitchen teaching my kids how to play checkers. So we're all good, babe. I fed him a bowl of chili. We're ready to go. He's all right. set. All right. 
That's good. That's good. Because yeah. we can do the show or whatever. I mean, you guys are the priority, you know. Cody and I just sort of fall in line. <laughs> so I know a judge is not supposed to do this, Bri. But if I mm-hmm. – let's say I go 10-9 Basil round one. And then mm-hmm. I go 10-9 Basil round two, which I think is a bad scorecard. I had 10-9 mm-hmm. Jack. But let's say I'm 19 apiece, right? Like you can't, you have, I think you, you should have it within your right to be like, I'm going to go 10, eight there with Jack in round three, even if it doesn't check every single box for a 10, eight, right? Because mm-hmm. it more levels out your scorecard. And sometimes when I look at these live odds that seem very fraudulent to me, and I don't even know, like I got to see a line, right? I'm even hesitant to trot out Francis and Gano Tyson Fury lines because they don't seem real to me, you know, mm-hmm. but like, I don't know, man. I don't think the live odds like account for judging or anything like that. So what did you think there was anything in that round three that would make you go 10-8 for Jack Della? Uh, you know, I, it's close. I mean, he had him on the ropes. I was screaming. I had a lot of money. That was a $500 swing. He was the anchor of a parlay for me. So I'm screaming at the TV. Uh, you know, he's jumping for guillotines. And then when he took him down oh. and he put the hooks in, I'm like, yeah, but this guy, that's what he does. Everyone he's trained with says, he passes guard so good, he's slippery on the ground. Jack, stand up. This dude can't even stand. Um, it's close, but I think since Basil ended up, you know, he reversed it. I think that kind of saved him, but he was getting pieced up on the feet. I don't hate a 10-8, but I don't love it how where a judge maybe goes, man, I fucked up on round two, eh? Let me try to even it out. I don't like that. I hear a lot of commentators right. say that. They go, oh, well, you know, I think he's going to win this fight because he's doing so good this round, but they've already scored the two rounds before the start. So you can't go back and change it. You know, a lot of not so high quality uh, announcers say that I'm not saying anybody last night in particular, but I hear that all the time. It's like, yeah, but you can't, you can't do that. So maybe you you're onto something. They go, well, I fucked up last round. So maybe let's throw a 10, eight here liberally so we can, you know, even things out. Um, but no, I thought Jack won. I thought, you know, the ground control in the second round really wasn't much. I thought he dropped the first one. I agree. Obviously. I guess I'm thinking, like if I have, sorry, I should have said if I'm 2018 and then I see that third round and I go 10-9 Jack Della and then the other guy wins, I don't feel like the right. So I feel like in that situation, mm-hmm. I can manipulate yeah. my scorecard and uh, and make it an even fight, even though you're right, you're not supposed to fucking do that. I was I was getting texts from people going, I think it's a draw. I think they gave him 10 eight to draw. He's there down two to draw. They're like, they're giving him it's a draw. I didn't see the draw. I really, I really thought he, I mean, again, we never know what judging. I thought he won that second round, but it was close. It was a fun fight, man. I liked that fight. That was, that was, I was sweating bullets ever a little bit, boys. I yeah, tell you. I'm telling you, I love it. Hey, uh, Ken Flo, nice hit on Francisco Prado over. Ottman yeah. You know, Ottman's going to bring it in terms of the television. Uh, it's a TKO for Francisco Prado. Argentina's really starting to produce UFC fighters, and this kid is 21 years of age. Really nice response to his UFC debut. Uh, what'd you make of Prado? Obviously, you're pretty high on him going in. Yeah, no, he's good. I, I think that uh, Izaitar hits very hard. He's a dangerous striker. But I think conditioning-wise, uh, late in the fight, that was going to be a problem or his lack of ground ability. I, and I think that Prado just had the ability to mix things up a little bit better. He was able to you know, avoid those you know, a lot of the big shots. He's got a good chin. He's still kind of fresh in the game where I thought you know, his youth – uh, his tenaciousness was going to be the difference, and uh, he was able to get it done early, man. I, that's where I thought Izaitar is most uh, dangerous in round one, but uh, Prado found a way. So that was uh, that was cool, man. I needed that. Yeah. So 
Brian, we call you yeah. Big Gun. I don't know if it's yeah, because man. the Iron Turtle was taken. But this <laughs> dude, man, South Korea, Jinyong oh, Park. Like, man. I mean, stick around for the dance and everything else. What'd you make yeah. of the Iron Turtle extending his middleweight winning streak to four? That's what he does. He fucking wins. This is a test for Durev, and, and I think he failed. You know, he gassed out a little bit. But listen, he put everything into some of those right hands and even some left hooks. And the Iron Turtle's like, cool. Yeah, now nah, we're going to keep going forward. Doesn't bother me. Great chin on the guy, cardio for days, and he's and he's getting better. I mean, he truly is. He's starting to round out his game. I don't like in the past how he rushed to get things to the ground. Play on the feet. You got good striking. Yeah. You obviously got a good chin. You know, don't rush everything sometimes and you get caught up and stuff. But Durev is really good at being the, the hammer, not so good at being the nail. And he fought off that choke. I thought he was going to give up a few times. He really fought off that choke, but the Iron Turtle stayed patient, stayed consistent. And, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of people are throwing out him and Bo Nickel. I don't hate it. Yeah. I want Bo to get stepped up. That's a big huh. step up right there. That I like is. the Iron Turtle Bo Nickel. That's a fun fight. I'm just trying to get the South Korean Jin Yong Park against a ranked fighter, and now you're trying yeah. to trot him out there as a massive underdog against Bo Nickel. Throw him the bow, babe. So your, your boy, the King of Combat, Chris Curtis, yeah. just celebrated a birthday recently. And I don't know yes. if we acknowledged on this show, uh, but he he says you really got some hands. Would you take yeah. an amateur fight at Celebrity Boxing if your name got big enough? So, <laughs> um, what so are you I'm, laughing? I'm, What's so funny? Well, because I just, I just did my own podcast. And I've had this burning thing. I don't want to get too deep. I did it on my own show, and I've been getting a ton of messages for it. So... Uh, I, 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 I love what I'm doing. This is what I'm going to do for a career, but there's a burning. I mean, my, all my eggs were in the fighting basket before this happened, before my brain injury, I had a meeting with my neurologist. I'm good to go. So within the next three years, I'd be, I'm, I'm 37 in August. I'm going to be 40. I'm getting a fight in. I have to, I'm getting it in and it's not going to be an amateur. I want a pro fight. I don't give a fuck where it's at. I want to yeah. get after it. Uh, I actually sparred. I, so I've been telling you, I've been getting hit up by local gyms all over the place. I actually sparred for the first time in eight years, uh, not too long ago. And I don't want to, you know, the guy wasn't high level or anything like that, but you know, put him down with an old left hook body shot. So I felt oh, pretty good. Yeah. You know, your boy's back. I'm motivated. I'm down <laughs> nine pounds. I'm in the fucking gym. I bought a boxing robot. You know what I mean? Cause I can't always run to the, you know, run to the gym. I got one up the street. They're trying to get me to go to. Um, but yeah, so within the next three years, trim, Trim the fat up a little bit, get in the gym, get the grappling going, and then I'm taking a fight. I wanna I wanna end my life either 0 and 1 or 1 and 0. I don't care which one it is, but I gotta get that professional fight on my record. And uh so yeah, I've been getting encouraged yeah. courage left and right from that. You know, your girl Heidi Dean was texting me, she's like, wherever it's at, I'm going. So that was pretty dope. And uh <laughs> Yeah, so That's I didn't awesome. tell you boys that, but yeah, I, I did that. I revealed that on Wednesday show on my show on my podcast. This is amazing. I need to listen to the MMA Takes podcast more yeah. often. But no, I mean, I had the foresight to ask the question, and this would yeah. seem to be our producer asks if uh, if I'm going to be in the corner. And before you answer that question, yeah. this would seem to be on the surface. I don't know how yeah. deep your inner circle and your entourage yeah. is. Maybe it's more proficient than uh, I could even imagine. But this would seem to be my best chance to get in a corner. So if you do go three or <laughs> yeah. four wide, uh, yeah. not that I know the game intrinsically like Ken Flo, but I can certainly give you that, you know, energy imagine, and everything else. Imagine the corner of John, Kenny, and Ray, and me rolling up yes. in, this, in this fucking pro, whoever he may be, be like, what the fuck? Because when I hugged you in Vegas, the entire section was like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> like, fighter. 
He broke up <laughs> fucking John Anik for 10 minutes. Who the hell is this guy? So imagine it. rolling in. Oh man, I just, you know, if uh, after sparring, listen, I'm I'm not in the best cardiovascular shape. I went 3 5-minute rounds afterwards. I was tired, but it felt like, I mean, literally it was it was like the high you get. You know, I'm not a runner. So I don't get a runner's high, but I was like fucking yeah. buzzing. It was great. You know, I got mats in my garage. I got the whole fucking thing, dude. So yeah, it's a burning thing in my body that I've wanted to do forever. And after the year I've had with the death and, and everything, I'm like, life's short. Just fucking go for Let's it. Go. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go. So I got to do it. Don't, just don't get hit too cleanly for the sake of the Anakin Florian podcast moving oh, forward. Yeah. Cody, by the way, I did try to move the general safe Saud back to uh, 238 PM Eastern. I'm, I'm so. running long. Sorry, safe. No, Sorry. no, no. We know we need time. I'm not done. I'm not done with this. We need time yeah. for this. I mean, <laughs> we'll be back later in the week, by the way, with Ray Longo to discuss uh, Nazim Sadikov on uh, late Wednesday, early Thursday. Longo is asked for Wednesday, 1130 a.m. Eastern time to discuss uh, his team just continues to get it yeah. done. But no, my final question for you yeah. is for your professional mixed martial arts. This is mixed martial arts and not boxing yeah. or what is yes. this? MMA it has to be MMA. I've, I have a, yeah. uh, I, should, I should have brought it over. I have a. I did a tough man type boxing tournament when I was training MMA and I won. There's only four of us in the heavyweight division and the other two guys after they've boxed, they both stopped. So I boxed the same guy twice and I beat him twice. I paid, <laughs> 70, I paid $75 and they gave me some shitty metal. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> hey, so what, what's the weight class? It's going to be heavy. Your boy's heavy right now. I'm 274. Okay. So we got, we, you know, we got at least nine, 10 pounds of cut. And if I'm taking my shirt off, I got to be at least in the two forties, you know, so I don't embarrass my family. So uh, get a nice little <laughs> one, but yeah, so we, we got some work to do on the weight side of things, but yeah, it'll be heavyweight for sure. What people yeah. don't understand though, the dude's six, three. So before yeah. you're like, you know, he could sit up right now, but he's trying to be humble, right? Yeah. He could sit up, he could sit up straighter, but he's not trying to just command the room. Like we know he can see, right. yeah. he will fuck you up on the streets people <laughs> like really badly. All right. Let's get to the pronunciation of the week. And, uh, this is interesting because uh, this file is a doozy. So she's competing in the co-main event, pretty big underdog against Molly mm -hmm. McCann. It's in the UFC women's flyweight division, a division in which she has not competed prior. So uh, you have the the name, Bri. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's hear you give it a go, if you don't mind. So I haven't listened to any of the files that you've given me or, or went and searched for it. I did kind of cheat because I listened to this last night as I was tape setting her. You're watching film. I mean, the so kid eats film. film. So, so that's why I 274 know. fucking eating film. <laughs> so that's why I'm like, okay, I don't know if if the guy got it wrong. We're, they're, not everyone's John Anik or Kenny Florian, right? So I'm going to go Julia Storolenko. All right. Well, Storolenko is is not right, uh, but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, Cody, let us – uh, Right. I don't even know. All right, let's what do we got, saying. Cody? Julia, Julia? <laughs> Julia Stolarenko. Julia Stolarenko. Big whiff. Big whiff on that one, boys. You see, though, why easy. a lot of fighters, international fighters, will say Americans can't say our names, right? Because mm -hmm. she says it in an Americanized way, and then she says it so beautifully the second time. And, uh, mm -hmm. and again, unless you're a linguist on Kenny Florian's level who used to, like, work in the field. No, I'm right. serious. Yeah, uh, right. it's very hard. Uh, Julia Stoliarenko. All right, should I update the standings, boys? Not Let's too much it. pain this week. Not okay. too bad. No, all right. Uh, all right, so uh, Petrie started the week minus 1,820 American dollars. Team Florian 
minus 34-30. So the lead was 16-10. Lead is now 17-10. So a two and three week for Petrie, but the lead still grows. Three units on Nazim Sadikov at minus 150. Also a prelim hit on Melsic Bogdasarian. So it's plus $45 on the week. VP now at minus 17.75. Team Florian, two and two. Two unit whack on Nas. Also, that hit we mentioned on Francisco Prado, but two unit setback on Albert Durayev. And uh, that makes it a minus $55 on the week now, minus 34.85 for, uh, for Team so- Florian. But we have seven opportunities to make money. All of these odds courtesy of DraftKings Sportsbook. It is UFC Fight Night. Aspinall versus Tabora. Heavyweights are the men on the marquee. London, England this Saturday night, July 22nd. And we will begin, Brian, with the featured prelim Bantamweights. Daniel Marcos, Sankora, minus 120. Representing the Institute of Human Performance, Boca Raton, Florida. He is minus 120 here against Davy Grant, plus 100. Marcos actually fighting out of Boca, but by way of Lima, Peru. Of course, Ken, right? The Peruvian fighter. Uh, Marco slightly favored here against the uh, credential Davy Grant. What do you have for us, BP? Yeah, so Marcos is good. Like, he was a guy that I was like, when, when his last time out, I picked against him, and I immediately regretted it because when I saw him move and I saw him hit in the power and his so, uh, slot uh, shot selection is, is great, and he's got a great track record of that outside the UFC as well. But then you run into Davy Grant, right? And this is a guy I slept on for a long time. And this dude throws weird shots at weird angles. He catches you when you're not expecting it. Those are the shots that hurt you. He's got a crazy left hook that kind of comes from different uh, different angles. And he's he's durable. He's tough. And he's good on the ground. I mean, look at the Asunsao. I mean, he needed that with the with the reverse triangle. It's unbelievable. You know, he his first art was jujitsu and now he's really kind of coming into his own with his striking this is going to be an absolute banger i love this card i saw some some bozos some goofballs huh. giving this card shit i said what do you i mean i love this i think there's a lot of talent and we're kicking this the, our picks off with this um you're hanging david grant as a plus money you know i love plus money i scoop him up i'm a dog hunter so give me david grant i think this could be a good scrap though i think marcos is you know, he's 2-0 in the UFC, one contender series shot, one, you know, one on the UFC. But um, he's good, man. He's good. But I, I think David Grant's experience, and he's been in there with some killers, and he's won, and he's looked good on some of his losses. I like David Grant here. And I share your enthusiasm for the card. You know how I feel by how many predictions I make you guys yeah. select right. here yes, on uh, the Anakin Florian podcast. Kempfler, what do you have for us? I mean, bettable fight, I think, on both sides. Daniel Marcos, minus 120. David Grant, plus 100, the even money dog. Perhaps I'm giving it away with all the red and white that I have uh, for my Peruvian uh, brother over here. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan, dude. He's 14 and 0. Watching his UFC debut, I, I was really impressed at how composed he was, how relaxed he was with his punches. I see a lot of shades of Jose Aldo. I know that's a big comparison, guys. Relax, relax. Uh, but some of the things he does defensively, some of the things, the way that he moves and he attacks and how smooth he is and kind of transitions from offense to defense and defense to offense reminds me a little bit of how Aldo does things. And, um, you know, he doesn't have that same level of speed that Jose Aldo does, but he is very slick and very, I guess, uh, sound everywhere really doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes out there as well. So I really liked what I saw from what I from what I've seen so far. I think he's a fantastic fighter with a very bright future. I agree with everything Brian said about Davy Grant though, that uh, Davy is going to be a handful. He's not going to go away easily. Uh, 
Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. He can do both on the ground and in the clinch. I think his tie clinch has kind of slept on a lot. He's very good with that plum clinch and got to watch out for knees and elbows. He's, he's tall, lanky for the division. But I think Daniel Marcos, uh, I think he's a smooth operator, man. I think he's going to be a little bit more technical. Where I am a little bit hesitant is with the experience factor. Davies been in that octagon a lot longer he has a lot of experience but i think daniel marcos is going to be the fresher guy i think it's going to be close but i think marcos finds a way to win man um and i agree with brian i think it's going to be an awesome fight nice well we like the disagreement early next up at featherweight brian larone murphy modest 145 josh Coolabal 125 so mark murphy still undefeated right 12 0 and 1 4 0 and 1 of the ufc uh, got past Gabriel Santos by split earlier this year. That was his first fight since 2021. Kulabau, internationally they know, right? Out of Sydney, mm-hmm. Australia, 11-1-1. Great strength of schedule. Undefeated in the weight class still. Only pro loss in his UFC debut to Jalen Turner. So big fight here. Like sneaky mm-hmm. big fight here. We need a prediction, Bri. You go on Lerone Murphy, the favorite, or Josh Kulabau, the dog? Real quick, I know we're trying. Kenny Florian's rocking a a a, a Porsche shirt, and I, that's just Kenny to the T. Because I don't think they make Honda Ridgeline shirts, or I'd be wearing one. So that's just, and that's just Ken Flo right there. Back to this fight. I like this fight. Coolabout is is a guy you don't like. You always think he's not going to win, and he does. Like you know, there's nothing special about him. Um, besides that, he I mean he's talented, but there's nothing like jumps off the page. Ron Murphy, he's just got to up the volume. He's too picky with his shots he's powerful he's 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 durable and he's got great cardio but he needs to let it go cool not afraid cool gonna be in his face he's got a good chin he's got a good body of work but murphy's really got to let it go here and this could be a really shining moment he goes out there and puts out cool in front of his home country that's a big win like you said john that's gonna mean continues on the feet of streak and now larone murphy is on the map right uh easier said than done i'm i'm rocking larone murphy but i'm not overconfident in this fight if i'm being honest with you I like Ro Murphy. I like his talent, but Joshua Kulabau is a sneaky guy yeah. that hmm. will sneak up, and all of a sudden you're down two rounds, and he's not going to get he's not going to get out the third. You know he's got cardio for the third round, so uh, it's a sneaky fight on Kulabau. I see a lot of people playing that, but give me Lerone Murphy. Kulabau plus one twenty five right now on DraftKings Sportsbook, coming off a submission of Melsic Bogdasarian. That was UFC two eighty four in Perth back in February. Lerone Murphy fighting on his thirty second birthday here, Ken Flo. I don't know if you factor that into the handicap, but uh, Lerone Murphy, Josh Kulabau at one forty five. Who do you like? This is an interesting fight. I think Brian did a great breakdown, and I agree with everything he said. Uh, Kulabau, man, imagine getting out of your car and seeing that kid and be like, "I am going to kill this." No, no, he no, will no. mark you. Be oh, careful yeah. who no. you mess with. Uh, yeah, Kulabau is one of those guys. He, he's he's definitely. Um, surprising and not only his composure when he fights, but the kind of skills that he brings to the octagon as well. I think he is going to be a handful, but Lerone Murphy, I think is the more talented guy. I think that, um, you know, if Josh decides to take it to the ground, which I think he should, uh, I think Lerone's going to find a way to keep it on the feet. I thought he showed some good takedown defense, especially up against the cage. That's where I think Josh Kulabau can have su- some success. 
but I don't know if his takedown game is good enough to take down Lerone Murphy. If he does, I think he can win this fight. I also think, uh, like what Brian said, if he could stay busy on the feet, land shots, get in, get out, and frustrate Lerone, frustrate Lerone Murphy, who um, you know is a little bit low on volume. He, he he tends to be overanalyzing, it seems. Like he's always looking for that perfect shot where a lot of times it's just there, or he just needs to you know go for it a little bit more often. So um, I think Lerone Murphy has enough wouldn't be surprised if Kulabau gets the win, but um, I'm, I'm rolling with Lerone Murphy as well. All right, next up, I want a quick pick on this one before we get to a middleweight matchup that we'll dive deeper on. So it's a pick of fight. That's largely why we're picking it. Black Country Banger. It also gives me a chance to say that. Jai <laughs> Herbert, minus 110. Vares Zium, minus 110 as well. Uh, Petrie, are you abstaining or do you have a pick on that one for us, Kit? I have a, I have a pick. They're both very similar. That's what, you know, body types, style, everything. Uh, I lean towards Zium just because I think he's a little more durable. Her, uh, Herbert does have tend to get hit, tend to get rocked a little bit. Give me fair Zium. Hopefully he gets in the plus money considering we got an uh, English boy he's fighting. So. A lot of people like the younger fighter, Kenny, in this matchup. Uh, some similarities for SEM 26, Jai Herbert 35. Do you have a selection for us? I do. I'm going with Zium. Uh, they are extremely similar. I think Zium might be a little bit better on the ground, though. Um, he has fallen victim to RNCs, but um, yeah, give me Zium. I, I, I think he's he's going to be able to get it done. All right, middleweight matchup, 14th ranked Andre Muniz, <clears throat> minus 200. Paul Bearjew Craig is plus 170. Middleweight debut for Bearjew. Mm-hmm. Never fought at 185 pounds as a pro before. He's 8-6-1 in the UFC, but has lost two in a row. Now making the move south where he draws Andre Muniz. Brian, I guess the shine, a yeah. little bit off Muniz after the loss yeah. to Brendan Allen. Still a problem, though. 23-5 and five overall, 5-1 five and one in the UFC. Your thoughts on him here? 2-1 to one favorite against Paul Craig. Yeah, I mean he got he outstruck Brendan Allen, but Brendan Allen took him to the ground and smit him. That was that's his game, you know. Munez is trying to round out his game, but it's very pushy striking. I do think he has better striking than Paul Craig. Paul Craig really I gotta hammer the Paul Craig. He looked lost against Johnny Walker. I know that was a crazy, weird hammer fist back, weird, whatever you want to call it, put him down, but he's been put out several times before that as well. And he has always said, I really want to show off my stand-up. Well, here's the fight to show it off. However, I'm greedy. I want this fight to go to the ground. I want to see what these boys got on the ground. I think Munez is going to want to keep it up. I think Paul Craig maybe would even jump guard. And I think one time throughout this fight, Munez is going to have a little bit of an ego and go, let's go. I'll take you to the ground and see what you got. And I think Paul Craig is just a specialist there, man. Off his back, on top. Obviously, the triangle choke is what he's known for. He does have a good rear naked choke as well. Uh, Munez, I think, slowed down drastically in that Brendan Allen fight. I think that obviously helped Allen. Uh, Finish on the ground. Plus, I think Brandon Allen's a superior fighter. Anyway, give me the dog. Give me Paul Craig because, uh-huh. you know, we dog hunt here, babe. Craig right now can be had plus 170. Kenny, your thoughts on this one at uh, 185? Yeah, very interesting. I'm, I'm really curious to see how it goes when it does hit the ground. Uh, Paul Craig, I think, is way more explosive, way more dangerous with his submissions. I think Muniz is a little bit better with his positional game. Now, if his positional game is going to be superior, it's very difficult to land the submissions that you want. Not impossible, but it takes away the probability of that happening. So long as your position is good, you take a lot of that away. So I think Muniz should be better there. We shall see. Paul Craig, huge for the division, you know, very tall, very strong, you know, so that could pose some problems. I also think Muniz is a little bit better, a little bit cleaner on Mm. the feet as well. Not necessarily like 
um, you know, head and shoulders above Paul Craig necessarily, but I think he, he's good enough there where he can get it done. So I'm, I'm leaning towards the favorite here. I like uh, the Brazilian Muniz. All right, right back to you, Kenny, on this one. Nathaniel Wood, minus, one nine, minus 190, Andre Feely, plus 160. So Wood has beaten Charles Rosa, Charles Jordan, both by decision since moving up to 45. Feely, Feely's got to be one of the longest tenured featherweights on the roster, I would think, at this point in time. 20th UFC appearance, debuted almost 10 years ago at UFC 266 in 2013. 10 UFC wins for Feely. Kenny here, he tries to come through as the underdog against Nathaniel Wood. Which way are you going? Yeah, th- this is another interesting one. Um, I-, I think Andre Feely has been extremely inconsistent. If you look at his last several fights, you know, it's all over the map, um, which is why it's so difficult to choose someone like him. Nathaniel Wood definitely has a lot more momentum. He's the favorite for, the re- for a reason. Um, I-, I do think he's the better fighter here. Um, I, you know, if you're talking about, you know, off balancing you from the clinch, utilizing things like calf kicks from the outside. Um, I think he's got sharper boxing, um, but Andre Philly knows how to put it all together. So curious to see how it goes down. I am going to lead to uh, lean towards Nathaniel Wood. I'd like to put three units on Wood as Ooh. well. Um, you know, I don't know exactly why I'm doing that. Assume. I think I just need some freaking <laughs> points, but um, give me, give me Wood. <clears throat> Three units. Give me Wood. Kenville Give wants wood. wood. Minus 190 three times over for Kenny. So that is a uh, $570 wager. Brian Peachy, what do you have for us on the featherweights? I love the aggressiveness. I'm telling you, savage mode. That's this, this Kenny got. It's oh Kenny Warren. Uh, I was going to take a little poke at Philly, but I really dug into the tape. And I was dead wrong on uh, Nathaniel Wood's debut at 145. I was all over Charles Jordan, and he bullied Jordan. You know, Nathaniel Wood, 5'6", little stout, but he's muscled up. Lane at takedowns, hurt Jordan, and Jordan's a great striker in that division. Uh, is a real staple at that division as well. So coming up from 35, the weight cut obviously was was drastic. And Philly's fought everyone. Philly's big, 5'11", uses his length well, but he does get hit. You can close the distance on him. He leaves his, he, he leaves his hands out there just a little bit. Philly's a good wrestler, but we saw Bryce Mitchell take him down seven times. I think Daniel Thander Wood can mix everything in together. Clip him on the feet. I'm with Wood as well. No extra units, but I'm, I'm agreeing with Kenny. This is going to be a good fight. All right, co-main event, Molly McCann, minus 350 or so, Yulia Stoliarenko, plus 280. Mm -hmm. So McCann coming off that brutal loss, Brad, Aaron Blanchfield. That was all the way back at UFC 281 last November. So a lot of time for McCann to fucking marinate. Meatball marinate, huh? Molly McCann fucking meatball marinating on that loss. Uh, That did halt her momentum, which was pretty appreciable at the time. Brad, she won three in a row. Uh, Stoliarenko, one and five in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. She yeah. has competed bantamweight, featherweight. Now she drops down to 125 pounds. Which way are you going on the co-main event? I love Meatball Molly McCann. Uh, she's a fighter's fighter. She's aggressive. She's got good hands. She's got some good knockouts. She's got some uh, highlight real knockouts as well. The biggest problem throughout her whole career is when she gets down, it's tough. I mean, that's what Aaron Blanchfield deal. But listen, there's no fault of losing Aaron Blanchfield, who I think will be former uh, future champion. She's going to have gold one day in the future. That's the where you don't want to go with Storylenko. You do not want to get taken down, right? Or you do not want to take her down. Her arm bar, it's there. She's very good at it. She tells you, you look at a record. I'm going to try to take your arm. Meatball cannot do that. She's got to stay on the feet. I like this. And I hate giving out picks that are so obvious. Minus 350, a trained monkey can do that. 
I realize that, but I think Meatball's going to finish. And I'm putting four unis Ooh. on Molly McCann to uh, get Ooh. this done. I think she's going to get done within within the distance as well. I'm going to play. I know that's not the way we play the game here. Telling the audience, if you want to bet along, I think you bet a finished prop as well. And again, Petrie, in the offseason, which doesn't exist, you can always tell us if you want rule changes for next year. Okay, okay. We can certainly uh, consider that. But a four-unit play, minus 1,400, or I should say, minus 350 times four, $1,400 whack on Molly McCann. Kenflo, what do you have for us on the co-main event? Yeah, this is an interesting one. I, I think Yulia is so dangerous with that Amba that um, she could potentially pull off the win. Yeah. You know, I, I think that, um, you know, Molly, that's where she's weakest. But I, I think that Molly um, is going to learn a lot from her last fight, which was a loss against Blanchfield, as Brian mentioned. You know, she's going to have to keep this one on the feet. I think she's going to be tenacious enough, aggressive enough on the feet without giving up those takedowns to get the win. So I like Molly here as well. All right, and right back to Kenflow, main event in the heavyweight division. I don't know how bettable this fight is to you guys. Tom Aspinall nearing minus 500, minus 450 or so. Marching Tabora plus 340. So Aspinall, Kenny, asked for this fight in London, received it, number five in the world. Was 5-0 in the UFC with five finishes. Then that Curtis Blades fight, right, 15 seconds in, devastating knee injury. This is his return. Tabor's got a lot of UFC experience. Your thoughts on this one at heavyweight and ultimately will need a winner. Uh, Typora does have a lot of experience. That that's what concerns me here. What what concerns me most though is Aspinall, um, his pacing. Sometimes he approaches a fight, or many times he approaches a fight like he's just going to go out there and finish you in round one. And I wonder if he's if he's going to be able to maintain that against someone like Tybora, who is known to kind of stick around and hang out, hang around for long enough to be able to mount his own comeback. And um, yeah, I, I'm curious about that. I do think Aspinall has enough offensive skills and firepower to take out anybody pretty much in that division. I think he's got enough to take out Tybora, um, but he better be smart. He's got he's got to have that conditioning and that pacing for 25 minutes just in case. So give me Aspinall here. Uh, give me another two units. What, I put three hey, on uh, hey. Wood? Give yep. me another two on Aspinall. Um, I like him here. I think he's just going to be way more skilled, way more athletic. However, Marching Tybora has beat a lot of guys that have been more skillful and more athletic than him. So watch out. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Marching Tabora has made a career of making uh, handicappers and betters rip up tickets. 11 and 6 in the UFC. He's won two in a row, seven of eight. Stiff challenge for him here on the road against Aspinall. Which way are you going? I think if Aspinall wasn't coming off a knee injury, I think he'd be almost to a thousand, you know, 10 to one. Um, this is starting to give me some real Frank Mir, Marcio Cruz vibes. If you guys remember that Frank Mir yes. came back from a femur Oof. injury and just got bludgeoned by not so great heavyweight. Um, and that's what Tybor can do. He can take you down, lay on top of you, keep that big body on you, ground and pound you. But Tommy Aspinall, man, this kid is special to me. I think he's really good. He sized up a little bit from the knee injury because uh, in his movement, is great. His striking is great. Apparently, what we've seen a little bit of his jiu-jitsu, but that's where he comes from, a jiu-jitsu camp. Um, listen, I, you know, it, it is a little high of a number from a guy coming off an injury. You know, I usually preference that when I say that. 
but you pick winners here. Numbers or not, you pick right, winners. Give right. me one extra unit on Tommy Aspinall. I love this five form. Tybora had a little bit of an issue early in his UFC UFC career. He got finished a few times by knockout. I see Aspinall doing that as well, uh, having the crowd go crazy. So give me an extra unit, Tommy Aspinall. Let's go. And speaking of picking winners, you have picked all winners when it comes to your prelim selection. It was Jack Jenkins a few weeks ago. Miss one. Okay, that's right. Yeah. Melsic Bogdasari and see how honest he is. Melsic Bogdasari and you hit last week. Any other prelim selections? 15 fights in London. Anything else uh, that you like? Yeah, I'm going to give you a slight dog here, everybody. A little slight dog. Yanel Ashmoots is fighting Chris Duncan. Yanel debuted, knocked out Sam Patterson brutally Chris Duncan I know he's from Scot- uh, Scottish he's gonna have some people or from Scotland excuse me he's Scottish he's got some people in the crowd but Yanel can crack this dude is power cardio still to be questioned if Chris Duncan can somehow extend it uh we got a little problem uh that's gonna count on the record another pick for the for the beautiful the best fans in the world Joe Alvarez against Mark DeCasey D1 DeCasey likes to wrestle I be a little careful on the ground with, with, with Joe Alvarez. Okay. I think this guy's crafty. I think he's very good. And one more thing, John, I know we got safe side coming up, but I'm so excited for this car. I'm going to give out a little parlay for all the Anna Florian listeners. Oh, wow. It's called the Austin powers. Yeah, baby parlay. We got Nathaniel Wood, Molly McCann, Tommy Aspinall, plus 146, multi-unit play that. And let's cash some checks, babe. Look wow. at that. A parlay and nine straight wagers, buddy. Let's go. A little extra in the Let's paycheck go. this week. Brian Petrie, MMA Takes Podcast on social yep. media at Brian Petrie MMA. Great stuff, buddy. Appreciate your nice time. Boys. We'll see nice you next boys. week. Yeah. All right, there he is, Brian Petrie, with us here on the Anakin Florian Podcast. And hopefully we haven't kept this man waiting this entire time. Just let me know whenever the general's here and we will populate him into the conversation. I can tell. I can. Now look at this guy. Just handsome up the whole room, why don't you? The <laughs> general doing, safe side head coach. Co-founder of Fortis MMA, Dallas, Texas, USA, although you now have multiple locations that we should probably speak about. But it's great to see you, buddy. How are you? I'm good. I'm in the airport, so excuse the uh, noise if it's a little loud. I I just got off the plane. I try to find the best place I could, so we're just going to go and see how we do it. And, of course, I kept you waiting 10 minutes, and I do apologize. So you're in San Antonio, Texas. Is that right? That's correct. I'm cornering Jacoby Smith. Uh, he's the guy that your boy DC sent over to me from Okie State. And then uh, Marcelo Rojo is also um, in the main event. So trying to split my time because we've got so many guys. And then, you know, Fury being on Sunday night just kind of changed things up a little bit. When Kenny and I were sort of talking in our pre-show meeting, I was going through what your schedule might look like and makes my schedule not look so intimidating when I look at August. So how does a guy like you, when you have a bunch of high-profile athletes competing in a short amount of time, right? If it's Damon Jackson, August 5th in Nashville, not too far away, but then Jeff Neal in Boston, August 19th. I mean, you can't be going to Singapore. Kennedy's on uh, Nashville too against Dustin Jacoby. I mean, are you got you going to Singapore? Yeah. You can't be going to Singapore for Ryan as uh, well. I, mean, no? I, can't, I can't leave my guy. I mean, you know, and he's fighting uh, Anthony Smith, another tough fight. It's just, you know, look, and Kenny knows this. John, you know this. We've all been doing this a long time. This is the game now, right? I mean, there's fights every weekend and not even just one fight. You know, there was fights last night. There's fights tonight. Right. It's kind of, right. it's, it's kind of crazy what the sport has become, but it is, this is what it's become. And, you know, we're grateful and we're blessed and we're lucky that we get to do this all day long. And everyone that told us we were crazy or we were right and they were wrong. So uh, one of your guys, Austin Lingo, did fight last night. Uh, 
how far out does he know that maybe he's not going to have your services on fight night? I don't mean to put you on the spot, right? But no, obviously I, you're. I, I told him, I told him probably a month ago. Or so I, I knew, you know, uh, looking at the landscape of what was coming up, but I'm super proud of him, man. He, you know, I knew that was going to be a hard matchup. I knew this kid was coming down to featherweight for the first time. And I knew that he was going he fought Tiago Moises and, you know, fought all right to the second round. For those that don't know, Tiago Moises, absolute monster at 155. So, this kid came in very clean, performed well. I thought maybe he would get tired from the weight cut, you know, and Austin would press him like he always does, but he stayed there. But uh, I'm nothing nothing but uh, proud of Austin, you know, for his ability to just hang in there. And, you know, you guys know it, it's easy to look for a way out when you think you're not going to win the fight, you know, late in the second round. Your, things aren't going your way. But here he is in the third round feeling the hands and, yep. and, and fighting to the end. And, you know, D.C., this, you know, as being a champion and a fighter was commentating on you. Know, Man, this guy, he's not going to give up no matter what. And as a coach, you got to be proud of that. I mean, this is really what it's about is building that grit and determination. And, and uh, I'm proud of him, at, you know, as a fighter and as an athlete, letting himself, you know, go all the way to the end in a fight that he wasn't going to win. Coach, you have a bunch of big fights coming up. Uh, one of the ones that I'm most intrigued by is the Jeff Neal Ian Gary fight. You know, uh, for Ian Gary, he's this guy. He's up and coming. You know, a lot of people are very high on him. How do you get Jeff Neal up for something like this? And how is Jeff doing? You know, uh, health wise and all that leading up to this big fight. Well, Kenny, it's a great question, and you know, I'm sure you guys saw the little mugshot deal and, you know, I'm not going to get into it too much huh. just because, you know, I'm not a fucking little kid. Right. <laughs> and I understand guys got to do what they got to do, but I'm not a, I'm not a little kid. So I'm not going to gossip about, you know, stuff and, you know, Oh, this beef and that. But I mean, dude, you know, I, I did tell Sean Shelby, that's bulletin board material for me. I just stick that right up on the bulletin board and right, I don't have to right. say a goddamn right. word. to Jeff right, right. I mean, that's the dumbest thing that that kid could have huh. done, whether, you know, I don't know why, and I don't want to get into it again. It's under my pay grade, but he did. So, look, I, he wanted to fight Neil Magny, and he got the he got the other Neil. And who knows if that was on purpose or not? You know, you don't call your shots in the UFC uh, when you're only a couple fights in fighting guys that aren't ranked. And we saw Jack last night. You know, and no, nothing but respect to Jack and the boss for coming in. That kid, both of those guys deserve a fucking. Uh, salute because yeah. people don't get it it's hard to fight fighting's hard as hell it's so hard but fighting a guy that you don't train for you know and you're like ready set go it doesn't work that way and even though jack yeah okay jack's a better striker dude that kid came in fucking oh. ready and he was not coming in there to lose and you could see the physicality of him and you know i mean it was a barn burner and uh jack will grow from that fight as well and that's what people don't understand i respect jack for taking that fight and People don't get it, man. MMA math doesn't work. Certain matchups just don't show. Right. So uh, you just never know in this game, man. You got to be ready for everything. And this game is evolving at a very fast, fast pace, as you both well know. I just love the fact that divisionally they have a guy like Jeff Neal, right? He fights Shavkat Rachmanov, sees the upside in that fight, and realizes the upside, and now fighting Ian Gary. So many different directions I could go with Fortis MMA's yeah, general safe side. Go ahead. Here's what I, here's what I want to say. The reason I took the Shavkat fight, and I called Sean, and I, and, you know, Shavkat was fighting anybody. Danny Rubenstein is clicking on his Twitter, you know, trying to get him fights, and, and not really being disrespectful, just saying whatever he can, you know, whatever. And 
The reason I took that fight was because I knew even if Jeff didn't win the fight, that it was going to be a hell of a fight. And that fight will pay dividends because no one's going to fight Shavka. Look, everybody's going to run from him. They had to bring Kelvin in. And Kelvin could definitely beat him because Kelvin's great too. But Shavka's going to be a guy that everybody avoids. So ultimately, right. when he does, if he does make it to the title, uh, then people are going to say, well, him and Jeff had a fucking absolute barn burner when Jeff wasn't 100%. Let's throw right. these two together again. So that's why I said just jump on the grid now. Take the chance. There's nowhere to run in the UFC. There's nowhere yeah. to go. Everybody's tough. So you can buy your time um, or you can perform. And even when you lose, if you fight awesome, uh, it doesn't drop your stock. And we saw that last time. All right. So Brandon Moreno fought Alessandre Pantoja a couple weeks ago. Oh. Very close fight. I'm dying to know what you felt upon rewatch, right? Because I would always rather a coach for starters tell me that I've lost the round than put a false sense of security yeah, in my you head and answered my question. Yeah, yeah. that yeah. you've you won already, the fight, right? You know, but you, you were hard know. on Brandon after round three. I went yep. back and watch, watched it because I felt yep, so live I. that it was a Pantone. And when I watched round three, your guy doled out so much damage. Yeah, yeah I, I had, I, I mean, I had to, but so I guess here, I'm just curious what you thought of the whole guy. You nailed it. You nailed, you nailed it because you're such a smart fucker. So here's the reality. The reality is I always tell a guy if the round's close, you probably lost that round because I'd rather a guy out of necessity in his head go, I fucking need this and go, okay, I can cruise. You know, the reality, we do what we know we have to do as human beings. And when our backs against the wall, we do amazing things, right? And I'd rather a guy not have the comfort of going, oh, let me save my energy for the third, going, all right, I need this. And in a five-round fight, in a title fight, if the round's close, I I'm going to tell the guy, hey, you know, you probably lost that round. And I watched the fight. I did think we won the third round. I think we won the second, the third, and the fourth. I thought it was similar to Ben's scorecard. But I will say this. When, when the fight ended and Pantoja was on our back, I wasn't feeling great about that either. And nobody can argue about that decision. Pantoja earned that fucking win with that last takedown. It was it was two to two going into the last round. Brandon was winning the fight with two, three minutes left. We had the fight. We lost the fight with two minutes left. And you can say it however you want. Nobody can call it a robbery on either side. I thought Ben had a good scorecard and it made sense. I thought the other scorecards made sense as well. So... You know, this, when you end a fight in that bad position, you're never going to feel great, you know, and uh, uh, I have nothing but respect for Pantoja. Uh, I mean, Pantoja didn't look like he wanted to be in there in the second round. Everybody saw that. He looked like yeah. he was not going to make it. And Brandon got his distance and his timing. It's exactly what we planned for. I knew Pantoja was going to come out strong as hell. He always does. And uh, I thought he would fade in the third. He started fading in the second. And, but to his credit, he just did enough, man. He kept getting a timely takedown to stop Brandon's momentum. And I, I'm not going to say he survived the fight and won the scorecards. He did what he tactically needed to do. And, and that's it. And, um, look, Brandon's a champion. I'm so proud of him. He performed amazing in that fight. If you watched the fight before, Pantoja beat him up on the feet. And that Brandon completely dominated him on the feet yeah. uh, besides yep. the first round. Clipped us. And Brandon was such a complete fighter. He looked like a champion. I mean, the fight was so high level. That was the highest level title fight I've ever seen as far as the technical details and all the little things. And Brandon went to his base instead of scraping the fence when he did that last get up in the fifth, which allowed Pantoja to jump on the back. And once he locked the body triangle, 
and he set his foot in under Brandon's knee and he was leaning on the fence. There was almost no way to get out of that, right? And he did just enough in that moment. So that was probably the best fight I've ever seen. Uh, yeah. And I obviously had a front row seat for it, as you did too. Yeah. It was incredible. And I have nothing but respect for both of those guys' stocks went up. And uh, it's nothing but love. Um, I mean, that's that was an incredible fight. You you put it all Great beautifully, breakdown. and uh, I want to be respectful of your time. The general safe so with us. I feel awful that I had you waiting there eight minutes Don't at the airport. But I just right. want to mention this on Brandon Moreno. So what you were put in a little bit of a difficult spot a couple of fights ago, brought in on short notice to be his head coach. This time around, it was different. Still splitting time, but three full weeks with you in Dallas, Texas. He had a camp. And he, he had a camp, yeah. for sure. He so he camp. said in our fighter meeting, though, and I know sometimes praise for you can fall on deaf ears, but he said in our fighter meeting that safe has taken me to another level, to that next level that maybe I didn't think I could get to. And it's not that he was tight-lipped with praise going into the previous fight, but I think he was just more willing to give it out because you guys had just spent more time together. And DC sort of stopped on that detail. So it seems like whatever level you guys needed to cross to the positive you have crossed, uh, what can you tell our audience about the future between you guys and that whole working relationship? Well, I mean, you know, you look at Brandon and he's a guy you want to see fight. And I mean, uh, after that fight was over, I wanted to see more of it. And he's 29 years old coming into his prime. And I feel like, you know, my plan for the Figgy fight was very disciplined because Figgy gets wild. And I knew that we could kind of get him emotional and it worked perfectly. And we controlled him on the ground. Uh, you know, we, we, we wrestled him, we mixed it up, but with Pantoja, you have to give Pantoja his respect. That guy and what he brings to the table required Brandon to be good everywhere. I brought in yeah. two All-American wrestlers now that he hasn't had these partners before. And he, I don't think he's really had a camp, a real camp. You know, uh, we have 22 guys in the UFC. You know, we've got you – know, I had the, the second place All-American from Virginia in the tournament, Jack Mueller, and I had Nikki Winnitsky wrestling with him. He was fourth place. So I had two All-Americans who were in the top four uh, at 125 pounds in the NCAAs wow. the whole camp. And training that position, the back scrape and all the rest, takedowns, everything. And Brandon was doing 45-minute uh, circles, you know. Uh, you know, And uh, I, I, I was pushing him to it because I knew the fight was going to be crazy. But I just thought Pantoja has never been five. Right, he was right. eight at some point, so – I really just got to take my hats off to him for yeah. that's that one last takedown that, that, you know, in the room, like just one more, just one more, just one more. Right. That's right. that last one that he, he, he needed and he got it. So we yeah. know what we need to do. Uh, you know, I talked to the FC. I need to really shout out Mick Maynard, the 125 pound class. Wow. <clears throat> every single fight is going to be that way. Every single fight is going to be a barn burner and every title fight is going to be that way. 125 is like watching ninjas fight. And uh, <laughs> it really is. And it was like watching two ninjas fight for 25 minutes. And it, I mean, it was incredible. It and, was. Uh, you know, and I know that Dana went over to Mick and patted him on the shoulder and said, can you believe we almost got rid of this weight class? And it was Mick. who was like, just give me a chance in this weight class. Let me see what I can do with it. And, you know, how grateful am I? And I have a UFC championship and, and now probably the best flyweight title fight ever. And really from my point of view is, you know, we will love a rematch. Uh, I'm not pushing any narratives. I just want Brandon to rest and recharge. That was a war. Right. Brandon has so much on his plate. I mean, he's, he's a star, man. I mean, you, 
you, you hear the crowd, you see the pop, you watch people, how they respond to him. People are crying and shaking and like, it's kind of crazy. And, you know, I, I just have a lot of love for the kid and he's nothing but a true joy to train. I'm happy Pantoja had his moment. And I think those two now they've got a little bit of an Izzy Alex story, you know, like the thing is that people think Brandon won on damage. It was an unbelievable fight. And I just don't see another fight at flyweight. Nothing but respect Roy Val. The kid's incredible. I really am a fan of his style, but he lost to both of those guys back to back, not very long ago. And it was finished badly by Pantoja. And, uh, you know, that other kid, Albazi, he's tough, but he had a split to Kai Car of France. Brandon right. finished Kai Car of France right. and right. and beat him. So it, it's nobody's fault. It's the division is still young. Right. And these right. two guys, Brandon is a star and ha- is obviously very, very good. And him and Pantoja were literally neck for neck. I don't I don't see another fight to make. So we'll see. I mean, yeah. you know, it's whatever the UFC wants to do. They're the boss yeah. and, and uh, we'll go from there. It's crazy to think about Brandon Moreno fighting a guy four times and then fighting another guy four times. Promotionally, though, as much as I love Brandon Royball and I've championed his cause, I think circumstantially that's why you wait for the result. I think you got to do this, and you got to do it right now. You got to do it right now. I I personally think uh, December, T-Mobile, I mean, who doesn't want to see those two guys again? Like, let Brandon rest, let Antonio rest, let those two guys, you know, and I mean that. That fight was if that fight could have been ten rounds. I mean, it, you know, I mean that was just such a good fight, and, I love and it, it mattered. Every little thing mattered so much. The get up mattered. That punch mattered. The cut mattered. Uh, you know, the up elbow that Brandon landed that cut. Everything mattered so much. The stakes were so high, and man, that's what this is about. You know, that's what we're in here to do is win championships and be in championship fights. So. My man. Well, uh, wish all the best in San Antonio. I could go on all night on Instagram at safe Saud S a Y I F S a U D. Who does Kennedy have in Nashville, by the way, Dustin Jacoby. Oh man. The so, big fights five. keep on coming, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, I will, uh, I will see you in the not too distant future and, uh, hopefully you enjoy Boston, Massachusetts when you're up there in a few weeks, my man. It's good to see you guys. And, uh, always good to chat with you. Thanks there for your time, man. The general Thanks safe. Saud. Fortis MMA head coach. You can also see him on UFC breakdown doing a tremendous job as he did right. But man, it's gotta be tricky for a coach, right? You go to Austin lingo a month out and you say, Hey man, like I gotta, I'm going to be in San Antonio. I'm not going to be able to be there. And, uh, you know, you go right from Boston to Singapore and, uh, it is, it's, uh, he always makes me feel good about my grind, right? Because where there's a respite for me, oftentimes there isn't for him, you know? Dude, a busy coach in MMA is insane. Like Pajon Pena, he's he's traveling yeah. all the it's freaking nuts. time. He's at every PFL fight. He's at every UFC fight, even if it's the night after. These guys are traveling all over the place, man. It's not easy. And then you gotta you gotta pick and choose who you're gonna corner, who you're who you're not. That's yeah. really difficult. Yeah. Um, but I, I gotta give credit to to Safe uh, for his breakdown, man. Just very honest, very classy. Um, and I agree with him, man. I would love to see that rematch. I could watch that. I could watch them fight over and over again, man. So it's such, such high level stuff. One of his fighters who I failed to mention, uh, the nine and two Kyle Crutchmer, uh, who is a Bellator fighter, just had a TKO win over Bobby Nash last month, 30 years of age, promising fighter. I'm curious what the ceiling is, but, uh, as such, I wanted to let the general go, but thank you all for, uh, for being here. That's going to do it for today. We are back in probably 48. 
or 72 hours with one Raymond Peter Longo. These guys are just puffing out their chest. I got to talk these strong Islanders down a little bit. And Azim Stadikov with a big win, of course, over Terrence McKinney. We'll get into all of that. Uh, we'll continue to recap. Maida Bueno Silva and Holly Holm and uh, get Longo's thoughts on everything that's going on with Jamal Hill, with Francis Ngannou and everything else. If you want to follow the show, you can do so. AnnaFlorianPodcast.com on social media. It is at AnnaFlorianPod, at Kenny Florian for Ken Flo's Instagram. Also, Argus Integrated Defense. I mean, just run up, get done up. I actually, we were going through something with my daughter, and I said to my wife, I said, I think we should show her the fuck around and find out video right now. <laughs> and my wife said, we're not there yet. She's going to be 12 here in a few weeks. But I wanted her to see this bar. You know, it's like, keep, keep fucking around, honey, and you will find out. You will. Well, what, what am I going to find out? Hey, you know, open the fucking box and find out. You know? But I do think you get to a point with your kids, right? I'm sort of getting to the point where my kids are getting a little bit older. You know, yeah. it's like, it's never okay, dad. It's always, oh, I was going to do it. Or yeah, but you know, it's like, just, you know, you keep messing around, keep messing about. And then you find out on the other side. <laughs> but I guess we're not showing that to our daughter just yet. Uh, thank you to our guest today, the General Safe Saud, Brian Petrie. Longo coming up in a few days. Thanks to our producer, Cody Merrow. And thanks to all of you uh, for indulging us. We will talk to you in about 48 hours. Until then, be healthy, be happy. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.